Okay, uh, we've been talking about um, spirit and mind, and that if we're people of the spirit, we've got to operate from that place. Uh, so I want to really briefly uh, recap on some of the things I've said, and then um, move on to some new things. I want to talk about safe spaces today, actually. Safe spaces. Um, but first of all, John 4, 24, God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. And I think that, as you'll have probably picked up, that unless we learn to do that, we won't be able to enjoy anything that's going to happen in the future. We've got to understand we are not a religious people, we're a spiritual people, and God is spirit. And where the spirit is, there's freedom and life and liberty and all those things. Because, of course, if you try and reach out with your mind or your soul, it's impossible to connect with God in any form of depth. Uh, you may well connect, maybe, maybe emotionally you might connect in the moment, but, but that connection will probably be weak and fleeting and unsatisfying because you were designed to connect spirit to spirit. And of course, it's, it's more than possible to shut down what God wants to do through his spirit. So Paul writes, don't quench it. And of course, one of the ways we've said we quench it is when we get in our heads and we try and use logic and reason to work out what God's doing. But as we know, Isaiah tells us, well, God's ways are not our ways. So his logic is not your logic. So what he thinks is logical and rational, you think is irrational and very strange. Well, that's all right. That's just God. So trying to work him out with your head is never really going to work. And in fact, trying to work him out with your head means that you often crush and quash what he wants to do. And of course, the voice of the Spirit often brings conflict. Because it's not often that it connects with what everybody in the world's doing because he's not of this world. He's of something different. And so what happens is often when you hear the voice of God, it, it sometimes brings conflict uh, because it'll almost always be contrary to your mind, which is yet to be renewed. And of course, we don't like conflict. So if, we, if you want to live a conflict-free life, you can forget being a kingdom person. The two don't go together. You can't, you can't be somebody of the kingdom and not want any conflict because the kingdom brings you into conflict all the time and will increasingly bring you into conflict the more you get into it. So last time I, I spoke, I finished on these words, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. And these words, of course, can be applied to our minds because our minds are not big enough to understand and grasp all that God wants to do. But so we need to let it grow a little bit, create a bit of space in there. And the idea in these words is we've got to continually be willing to be made bigger, to stretch our minds beyond what we think God is even capable of. We've got to lengthen the cords, as it were, willing to think bigger than we've ever done, and we've got to strengthen the stakes. There's no point lengthening your cords and building a bigger tent if you've still got tiny little stakes or tent pegs. The tent pegs are the things that keep it grounded. So at the same time as um, lengthening the cards, you've also got to strengthen those stakes which keep us grounded. And, and those stakes are the foundational truths and values that we won't ever let go of. Discipleship, community, relationship, openness, honesty, vulnerability. At the same time as letting your mind go better, you've got to strengthen those things that keep you grounded. You need to go. Are you going to be late? Love to have you with us. All right. See you later. Give our love to the other uh, son you are talking to. Um, so we've got to strengthen those things, which might mean outworking them differently at times. We've got to keep working on them. 
So if we're going to be people of the Spirit, we've got to make sure we strengthen our stakes, putting effort into those relationships, rituals and rhythms that root us, but at the same time enlarging our mind. So this morning I want to talk about a couple of ways that our culture is moving uh, quite quickly and highlight why that is dangerous for the advancement of the kingdom. There are some very subtle, and not so subtle, shifts going on that if we're not careful, will creep into our lives and they'll start to, we'll start to assimilate them as part of our culture, but they're completely at odds with the culture of the kingdom. You might recall a number of months ago, possibly even a year ago, we talked about how this is a time of acceleration and how there was an acceleration for good things to happen. But at the same time, that's also accelerated not so good things happening as well because everything's accelerated. And as I've pondered on it more, I've come to see that as well as the good things, there's also the negative things. So two things that are accelerating. One is this. There's been an acceleration of isolation and insulation. That's what's going on in our world, an acceleration of isolation and insulation. So if you look globally, what you see as a result of the pandemic is nations isolating themselves from other nations and insulating themselves from other nations. So you get nations that are completely locking themselves down to other people for years. Australia, New Zealand, places like that, for years. You've got people who are much going, well, next time we don't want to rely on anybody else, so we're going to make sure we make everything in-house, which, of course, may well be a good thing. But here's the thing. Think about the mindset. It's a mindset of self-sufficiency. It's a mindset of insularity. It's a mindset of depending just on ourselves, not trusting anybody, not relying on anybody. That's what's really going on when you see all these things. And of course, we've now got a mindset of isolation. What used to be a punishment for the worst people in prison is now a normal part of everyday life. Isolation. And so you have all sorts of people isolating, and you have people who are isolating because they've been told to, that is now apparently an acceptable way to live. And you also have people who are isolating themselves because who used to enjoy going out and about, used to enjoy mixing, but they are so scared now that they choose to isolate themselves. As though holed up in our homes and seeing everybody on a screen is an acceptable way to live. Well, it's not. It's not life, and it's not living. And it, it, it makes me incredibly sad. I, I, know, I know one person who's a bit older, used to be out and about, didn't leave the house for, for ages, but used to be out and about, going all sorts of places. Like, that's not healthy. And it's not kingdom. We've also become used to thinking that church is something that can exist on a screen. We've become so used to everything going online and we seem to have fallen for a lie that we can be part of a church while never actually seeing each other. And there are, there are many people suggesting that physical church attendance on a Sunday morning or other times will never recover to levels pre-COVID. It was always falling away, but I think that's probably true. Because hey, if you don't really value being together and you don't understand what church really is, why wouldn't you stick it on TV when you eventually get up at half past 11 with a cup of tea? And of course, the church in many ways has made its own problem because it, it went down this entertainment route and then wondered why when people could be entertained at home, they didn't turn up. Well, if you go down the entertainment route, people are going to watch on TV, yeah. So, which is why you see all sorts of big churches now going down to small churches. It's fascinating. Of course, church is not about service on a Sunday morning. It never has been. It's about being together. But being together is a vital expression of it. It's an opportunity to worship together, to remind ourselves a part of something bigger and to bring what only you can bring to the party. That's the key thing. 
The church has always been about people and about those people being together. It's about gathering and encouraging and equipping and blessing and listening and sharing and praying and doing it together. And if we lose a sense of being together, the joy of it, the fun of it, the delight of it, we'll have lost a lot of power. Because as Jesus said, the power is in our agreement together. And the delight to be together should never be around the style or type of meeting. It shouldn't be about, because ultimately if it's about, well, I like this meeting and I don't like that meeting, what you're really saying is when, it, when, it, when I get something out of it, I'm going to turn up. But the whole point of church is to turn up to put something into it. And again, the church generally has made a thing of it being a big performance and I turn up, I get entertained, and then I go on. Well, guess what? Church was never about that, should never have been about that, and it's never something that we've made it to be. But it's about being together and you bringing something together. The kingdom for me is about family, about the joy of time together, delighting in others being blessed, not coming to something just so you can get something out of it, but becoming because you bring something unique to it and we are lesser because of it and you want to be together. You see, the heart of God is to return everyone a true relationship as he originally designed it, which is people walking together with each other and with him in oneness, openness, and vulnerability. It's not possible. I don't think it's actually possible to say you love God and then say you're part of a church behind a screen. Because to love God is to love his people. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, actually, I don't think that's possible behind a screen. Of course, I understand for people who are ill, people who are housebound, it's a wonderful way of a tense of connection. You know, people who are now are self-isolated, it's great, you can be with us. But actually... It's, it's not a substitute that works. It's a poor imitation. I switched it off last, two weeks ago. I had to self-isolate. Well, you know, because I was on screen rather than here. And I, I switched it off. Not because nothing wasn't good was going. I just went, this is rubbish. Not because what was on the stage was rubbish, just because it wasn't church. I just thought, I, it just made me sad. It made me cry. So I went, you know, I mean, Nathan did great and Phil did great and yeah, bloke who spoke, we're all right. But you understand me? I was like, this is not what I'm born for. I'm not born for watching church on TV. I'm born for relationship. Exactly. I'm born for relationship. We're designed to be together, designed to be in a community. And it's about that we prioritize being in community together. Surely if we've learned anything, we should understand that being together is important. And yeah, it seems that actually for many people, we've kind of gone, oh yeah, well I can just be at home and do it. Well, no. You can't do kingdom at home on your own. I'm sorry, you just can't do kingdom at home on your own. You might be able to do a version of church, but you can't do kingdom. And I don't see how the kingdom can advance if we embrace the isolation and insulation that we're currently being told is good for us. Isolation is not in the heart of God. You just have to read your Bible to see that isolation is not in the heart of God. Of course, there may be times when we're called to solitude for a short while, to be alone with Jesus, to hear from him. But solitude is a spiritual discipline when we come away from gathering to choose to be alone until we return to gathering again. It's not really meant to be a lifestyle. Of course, the other issue I have is that we don't reap the harvest we could because we have less people sowing. The more people you have sowing seed, the greater the harvest. So the more people you have coming together, the more seed they get to sow because they're here and their spirits rising and they're alive and they're here and they can talk and therefore the harvest is bigger. 
I want to reap the biggest harvest I can. That means having the most people sowing the seed of their spirit together. And not just for my sake, but for your sake. Because having experienced both, I know which one I prefer. I know which one brings me life. I know which one meets me in a deeper place. And to be honest, you can get much better teaching than this online. I mean, you just can. There's many people better at me than teaching the Word of God. So if you just want to be taught, well, there's better people, isn't there? But this is about a family. That's why it's about being together. Because it's not about, it's about being a family and learning together and growing together and chewing it over together. Okay, second thing. An acceleration of fear. This has been coming for some time, but it's certainly accelerated. There's a sense our world has become increasingly obsessed with safety. People are desperate to be safe. Um, a safe world to live in, a place where they never have to be nervous about anything. And of course, we, we've seen it over the years, this proliferation of health and safety. Some of it good, as we understand how certain actions lead to long-term health issues, but it seems we're increasingly risk-averse just in case somebody might get harmed in some way, shape, or form. And of course, it used to be about keeping people safe from physical harm. Again, a good thing in general. But now we see that many people want to be safe from any ideas or thoughts that might upset them. So now we have it fairly common practice to de-platform people who have different opinions to certain groups. So you're not allowed to talk to me because you might upset me with your opinion. We have the creation of safe spaces in universities of all places that I thought were meant to be places where you could critically think and be challenged, but now we create safe spaces so people can hide from opinions that differ from their own. This is the definition of a safe space. A place intended to be free of bias, conflict, criticism, or potentially threatening actions, ideas, or conversations, which might sound wonderful until you read Jesus. So, so because we're so scared... No, let me stick to this. So, so we now also have universities creating apps so you can log what they call a microaggression, which seems to me to mean you can report somebody for saying something that upsets you. This is the world we live in. This is Cambridge University. It's meant to be the best one. And of course, of course, we've got to protect people and help people. Of course. But just think about the movement towards the way culture goes and the kingdom of God. So the world is obsessed with safety in a caution-first world. But the world is obsessed with safety because it is obsessed with fear. And what you've seen is a ramp-up of all that over the last 18 months. What's fascinating is that this creation of all these safe spaces isn't really working because the biggest pandemic of the world is not a virus, but anxiety, stress, and mental health. According to the ONS, so this is the government's own figures, in April this year, 19 million adults were experiencing anxiety. That's 35% of all over 18s. That's more than one in three adults. And anxiety, they said, they did it from 0 to 10. And if you were six or above, they said you were experiencing anxiety. I understand why so many people are anxious at this time. I understand why that is. And I don't minimize it in any way, shape, or form. But what it means is, of course, as anxiety rises, the desire to be safe rises. Which, of course, explains why then, when the government asks, should we lock down, everybody goes, a lot of people go, well, yeah, because we want to be safe, because we're scared. Why are we scared? Because you told us we should be scared. It's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, really, when you just think it through. 
So as more people desire to be safe, what happens is we retreat further and further into our comfort zones, because that's what happens when you want to be safe, and we become more insular and less outward-looking. We now have this new thing to say to each other when we leave, stay safe. As though in stay safe was the most important thing in the world. Think about it. We do. A number of people have sent me out, end of a phone call, stay safe now. Think about it. But this is the world we live in. This is the culture that is happening that you are a part of. And of course, I'm not suggesting that you go out and find yourself some harm, but really, think about it. All rationality has gone out the window. Listen, none of which is helpful for the kingdom of God, which is not about staying safe and saving your life, but much more about how willing you are to not be safe. After all, neither Jesus nor the kingdom are safe places by that definition. Now, let me put a caveat in there. I understand that to walk in relationship together, there must be a sense that we are in a safe place, a place we are loved and cared for that no one will deliberately harm us. And every church should be, and our church hopefully is, a safe place in the sense that a place where we can share together, grow together, and learn to love and be loved. So we've got to start in a place of safety. Because, you know, little Chase, Noah, if he starts his life in a place of safety and care, he will grow up to know that he's secure and significant, he'll have some self-esteem, and he'll feel safe. And of course, everybody needs to start, at some point, everybody needs to start like any new baby, it needs to start in a safe, secure place. But at some point, if that baby is to grow up into all it can be, it's got to leave the safety of home and the safety of mum and dad and venture out into the big, wild world, always knowing that mum and dad are there, but relying on them less and less. That's what it means to grow up for everybody. Hopefully, mum and dad are always there, but you don't remain in that cosseted place all the time. You grow up and you grow up. So, of course, right now in our family, we've got people at every stage of life. Some people still need to be at home with mum and dad, as it were, in a safe place. And that's okay, because in that safe place, you find the healing and the security you need, so that at some point in the future, you can venture out into the big wide world. But other people have already been through that process, and for them, it's time to venture out even more than we are already doing, and start to actually bring the kingdom onto the earth. Because it is impossible to bring the kingdom on the earth, and want to be safe, stay in your comfort zone, and be isolated from the world. Those two don't go together. In the Narnia novels, Lucy's just heard about Aslan and wants to know more about him. She asks the beavers whether Aslan is safe, and gives reply, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Of course he isn't safe. He's the king. He's a lion, but he's good. And in some senses, Jesus is the safest person ever. But in another sense, he isn't safe, because to follow his teachings and to live for his kingdom means you will end up swimming against a very strong tide and battling a cultural climate that is deeply opposed to everything the kingdom stands for. So he he is safe, but to follow him means that it's not very safe, because it's risky. You see, Jesus said things like this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Think of how many people are trying to save their life right now. Well, Jesus said, whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it. But whoever whoever loses their life for me will find it. We're meant to be people who are losing our lives, giving our lives away for everybody else, not trying to save it. Not trying to insulate ourselves from anything, not trying to build up nest eggs just in case, but actually giving our lives away. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom. 
Imagine Jesus saying these things in a safe place. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. For you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Serpents, brood of vipers. How about his words to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. I don't think Jesus invited to get many, be invited to many universities. How about think about it? Jesus wouldn't survive in a safe space for very long, would he? Do you honestly think that walking with Jesus, they were allowed to remain, the disciples were allowed to remain in their comfort zone? What about all the time he blows their minds with his actions, with the company he keeps, the people he talks to, the places they eat? He's blowing their minds all the time. Walking with Jesus was anything but safe. It was a continual assault on everything they thought they knew and took them so far out of their safe zones, I can't imagine. Which is perhaps why Jesus felt the need to say this. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And if you feel the need to say something like that, it's fairly obvious that people are going to be offended because <laughs> you don't say it if they're not. In fact, there's a time in John 6 when the disciples go, he's talking about eating his body and drinking his blood and he turns around and goes, does that offend you? And it must do because most of them leave him. And yet we live in a culture where people want to create a space so they cannot be offended. And we live in a culture where nobody wants to say anything because of a fear of causing offence. Jesus didn't seem too worried about causing people some offence. He seemed more worried about speaking the truth. I want to finish with four reasons why the kingdom of God is not a safe space. A safe space is a place you only hear things you already agree with, it seems to me. I've never been in one, but it seems like if you... It seems like it's basically an echo chamber where you just hear what you already know and go, that's wonderful because I already know it. But the kingdom's a place to be challenged and changed. So the problem with safe spaces, it seems to me, is they become echo chambers where we only hear opinions and thoughts we already agree with. But the whole point of Christianity is that you might be transformed and changed. How are you going to be changed if you don't hear anything different to what you already know? We only grow and change when we're exposed to ideas and thoughts that challenge our assumptions and the status quo. And of course, most people are now unused to this because they feed on a diet of social media whose algorithms feed them their existing opinions and desires. So because they live off social media and they live off YouTube, they just get more of what they already know. Because whatever you like or share or comment on, you get more of that. So if that's your diet, you, so already everything in our culture is like, we're just gonna, I'm going to focus on what I already believe and I'm just going to get more of that. Which ends up, of course, with very narrow-minded people. Which is why you get the Twitter mob, amongst other things. Because all they get is more of what they get, and everybody reinforces what they already believe, and then it gets wilder and wilder, and then you get all sorts of crazy people in Hawaiian shirts telling you that this and that and the other. <laughs> Not wrong with Hawaiian shirts. But... but listen, the kingdom is a place to be challenged and changed. Seems to me that a safe space is a place where you can't really be hurt. But the kingdom is a place of relationship, which means being hurt. Because the kingdom is about people who don't get it right all the time. At its core, the fullness of the kingdom is about learning to love and be loved. And that involves people who, even at their best, make mistakes and get it wrong, and will at some point hurt us. You see, no, no human relationship could ever be truly satisfied as safe because it involves two human beings. Who will at times get it wrong. Now, of course... 
there are safer people than others. But no relationship could ever be classed as entirely safe. You can never be safe from harm in a relationship because it involves people. It's because some people are safer than others and we need to use wisdom as to who we share with. But even the safest people make mistakes and get things wrong. Thirdly, a safe space seems to me to be inward looking and excludes people who are different. The kingdom is an outward looking place and includes everyone no matter their differences of opinion. The Bible is all about each other. Love each other, pray for each other, submit to one another, care for one another, bless each other. It's all about everybody else. And Paul writes, of course, and tells us that, he says, in Jesus, there's no social division, no racial division, no ethnic division. They're all non-existent in the church. There is no Greek or Jew or slave or Scythian. He's breaking down social and religious and ethnic divisions. Well, okay, if he was right that today, what would he do? There is no leave or remain. There is no vaccine or anti-vaccine. There is no lockdown. There's none of that in Christ. And yet we see churches falling apart over those exact things. Literally falling apart. The kingdom is always about inclusion. It's about welcoming people of all ages and backgrounds. Ethnicities, races, social characters, sexuality, whatever. It's about welcoming everybody to worship the king together and go on a journey of learning who he is and not what about him. A safe place, it seems to me, is a place of agreement. The kingdom is a place of love, honor, and submission, not agreement. And in many senses, that's going to that's define some churches that make it through this season and some that don't. Because churches that have been built on agreement of some core truths will struggle. Because there's even more to disagree about now. But churches that have been built on relationship, togetherness, honesty, submission community, discipleship, well, those churches have got a much better chance. Agreement was never a foundation stone of the house. Love, honor, and submission are foundation stones in the house. And it's, we've got to remember what's really important, which is Jesus and agreeing about him and becoming more like him. That's the most important thing. It's not difficult to find something to divide us We've got to find what unites us. So, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So I I want to encourage you. This move towards isolation, towards insularity, becoming inward looking, this acceleration of fear, it's already there and you are living in it, but you've got to become aware of it And you've got to become aware of where that takes you and the challenges that that will bring. Because all those things, it seems to me, are the exact opposite of where the kingdom of God's going. The exact opposite. And it's not easy to live in those places because the power of the messaging, the power of public opinion, the power of opinions of friends and neighbors and families is is not always easy to deal with. But it does seem that in this season we'll have to decide which kingdom we're going to live for and which kingdom we're going to live out. You see, if you really want to be his disciple, you've got to focus on losing your life, not saving it. You've got to work out on how am I giving my life away for other people. That's really what the kingdom's all about. It's never been about what you want, your desires, your preferences, 
It's been about giving all that up for somebody else, for a king of the whole world. Okay, shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the, um, the paradox that you are the safest place and yet the most unsafe place. I want to thank you that you are a safe place. You are a safe refuge in times of trouble. You are a safe place that we can run to. You are the safest person to share our lives with and our secrets with. And I want to thank you that you bring us that peace and that safety and that security. But at the same time, Lord, we want to learn what it really is to live in your kingdom and to follow what you said. We want to learn what it is to step out of those safe spaces that perhaps we've stepped back into and step out into those places where we know he's on the edge of your kingdom, where we know that your spirit is calling us and drawing us. Lord, I don't want to live in a safe space, in a comfort zone. I don't want to live in a place. I want to live on the edge of where you want me to be, right where you are. And I pray, Lord, that we'd have the courage and boldness to live there more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.